Welcome to Being the Bat. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a Black person in white spaces. Today's topic, straight wisdom and lessons from the elders. We are often called to remember the ancestors, what they went through, how they forged ahead, how they survived the Middle Passage, sharecropping, Jim Crow, desegregation, and on and on and on. In fact, if we remember the ancestors, we remember that they were not allowed access to the written word. Today, the elder that we're going to talk with is serious about remembering the ancestors and their struggles for the written word. We've gone from the classics all the way down to now historical romance novels, science fiction, fantasy, and a myriad of other pieces of the written word. Remembering the elders is important. And our guest today is full of wisdom and candor as she reminds us how to find our voice and that racism is distraction. She has been the dot in uncommon spacers. Not just a writer of romance novels, but a writer of historical romance novels. Beverly Jenkins is the recipient of the 2017 Romantic Writers of America Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award, as well as the 2016 Romantic Times Viewer Choice Award for Historical Romance. She has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in Literature and was featured both in the documentary Love Between the Covers and on the CBS Sunday Morning. Since the publication of her initial offering, Night Song, in 1944, she has been leading the charge for multicultural romance and has been a constant darling of reviewers, fans, and her peers are like, garnering accolades for her work from the likes of the New York, the Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, and NPR. Reviews of Miss Jenkins or Miss Bev talks about the Detroit Free Press Beverly Jenkins has reached romance superstardom. Jenkins, sassy heroines, well-drawn secondary characters, and seamless incorporation of Black history result in a fresh winning historical from Publishers Weekly. Miss Bev has written over 40 books in the last 30 years. So that's approximately 1.2 something a year. Welcome to the podcast, The Slayer of Words, Daughters, <laughs> Beverly Jenkins. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am tickle pink. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you. So like I introduced earlier, we're going to talk just a little bit about your journey, because I might imagine as an African-American woman writing historical anything, 
and romance. And then you put those two things together as your genre had to lead to uh, a very, very interesting trajectory. And so can you just tell us a little bit about your journey to the written word and, and, and your, and being an author? Um, I, when I received the, um, Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award for Romance back in, uh, must have been 17. Um, <clears throat> and I gave my acceptance speech and I started out by talking about the census of 1870. And on that census was my great, great, great grandfather and grandmother. And neither one of them could read or write. Mm. So I took the audience through the journey to my mom, who was born in 1928, who mm. was an avid reader. And at that time, when she was, because she grew up in Detroit, born and raised in Detroit. So in the 40s and the early 50s, when, you know, she started reading and going to the library, libraries were segregated. She could read there, but they would not allow her to take books home. Mm. So she wasn't deterred by that. She sat and she read. Uh, she read the classics by uh, Langston Hughes and Arne Bontemps and, um, uh, you know, um, Richard Wright and all those folks. So when I started reading at probably, let me back up. She read to me in the womb. It was mm -hmm. not something people did in 1951 when I was born. Sure. Um, and the first thing I remember her reading to me, um, creation. You know, and God said it was good, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So she would buy me books back then, but those little cloth books, and I couldn't read, you know. So I would eat, I would sure. eat the pages. And she would say, eat those words, baby. Eat those words, baby. So the reason I'm here <laughs> is from eating all those words from, yes. her, you know, yes. from, from, from those little cloth books. Reading has mm -hmm. always been my thing. Um, if it hadn't been for the Mark Twain Library on Gresham and Burns in Detroit, um, I wouldn't be here. And she didn't care what we read. I went every Saturday to the library, you know, all the books my skinny little arms could hold, I'd bring home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had no intentions of being a writer. Mm. All I ever wanted to do was work in a library. That, that was my goal, working in a library. I didn't care, you know, and yes, I wrote on the side, you know, I had, had to do something with all them words I'd eaten, right? So, of course. <laughs> so um, worked at Michigan State University's library for many years. Um, and then uh, my husband worked for the, my late husband worked for the Michigan Education Association. So he did contracts for teachers and faculty members. And we were up at Ferris for a little while. And we moved back down here. And I got a job at Park Davis Pharmaceuticals in Ann Arbor. And I worked in their library. So one of the women that I worked with, who I'm still real close with. So this is like 85, okay? 1985. And she had just gotten published. 
And so we were celebrating her. And I was writing on the side because, you know, I read everything. I read everything in that Mark Twain library before I had to go downtown, you know, to the big library. Couldn't read every book in there, but um, so I read everything. And I was writing on the side this little romance because the genre of romance was basically closed to African-American stories. Just like mass market mm-hmm. fiction was basically closed to everybody. You had the classics, like I said, but you didn't have, you know, very many people writing mysteries or romance or, you know, now we got people writing mm-hmm. fantasy, which I love. Mm-hmm. So I was just writing it for me, that little story I was writing. Mm-hmm. So we celebrating sure. my girlfriend at work and um, she wanted to see what I was working on and I brought it in. And she said, you know, you really need to get this published. And I'm like, where? Because like I said, you know, Mark was closed. So I, I I tell people that, you know, between my mama making me eat words and, you know, girlfriend Laverne, she's a white woman, um, harassing me every day at work. Did you find, have you found, get you an agent, do, 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 do that. You know, so just to shut her up um, in a loving way. I <laughs> I found uh, Vivian Stevens, who um, was a big time editor in New York back in the uh, mm-hmm. early '80s. Vivian was probably was the first editor to publish African American romance. This was at a major publishing house. Uh, she published um, Sandra Kidd, uh, Elsie Washington, those early ladies. Mm-hmm. upon whose shoulders I stand because you always have to give yes. tribute to people who came before. So Vivian had gotten out of um, publishing and she was just doing a small agent uh, agency. <clears throat> so I cannot tell you how I got in touch with her. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. God works in mysterious ways. So sure. I sent her my little, <clears throat> my little raggedy manuscript because uh, that first book was always bad, always bad. But she saw something in it that, you know, obviously she connected with. And she called me because I was working the reference desk at Perk Davis. And she called me at the desk probably no more than a week later. Wow. You know, she wanted to represent me. So, but it took us almost 18 months, maybe two years to sell it Mm -hmm. because New York didn't know what to do with it. Sure. You know, you have a, you know, back then, and, and it's a little bit better now, but not much, people think that every Black person in the 19th century was supposed to be a slave. Mm-hmm. So here I come with a book that's set in 1880, after the great exodus of 1879, which is its own conversation. The first mass exodus of, exodus of Black folks out of the South. It's not be confused mm-hmm. with the great exodus of 1900 because those people went north. These folks went west. They went to Kansas. They went to Colorado. They went to Nebraska, Iowa, California. So I have this all black town with all these black folks, um, free blacks. And New York was like, what are we going to do with this? We, sure. don't to, we don't have a box for this. So I got enough projections probably to paper my kitchen, your kitchen, and everybody's kitchen who's listening 
all the letters said great writing, great writing, but great writing, but 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 the but was they know what to do with it. You know, they they had no, you know, here I come with a they're thinking everything is slavery for 19th century. And here I come with these free black people living in an all-black town on the plains of Kansas. And they're like, and and being and being and, in and love. being in love. With the history. And they're like, what are we supposed to do with this? So um, June 3rd, 1993, and I remember it because it was my husband, late husband's birthday. uh, They called and uh, Ellen Edwards, who was the executive editor at Avon Books, which is the number one romance publisher in the country at that time. And still, you know, making waves and taking names right now. Um, called me and said she wanted to buy the book. So that began my journey. Um, And then it was published in 1994, that summer. And also that summer, we call it the summer of black love because that summer was the first year that Arabesque, which was Kensington's uh, um, African-American line, and they published on a hill and uh, Gwen Forrester and uh, Betty Ford, and they were all writing contemporary romance, and I'm writing historicals. So we had this influx of African American romance giving us images of people who looked like us, positive stories, positive stories of black men, and our readers went insane. Of course. Well, you know. The, the thing is, it's, it's a great example of how hungry people were and are still for representation and stories of people that reflect them. But one of, one of the things that I'm aware of that, that in that 18 month period, that there must have been moments of doubt or concern. But you don't think there weren't because, okay, now if I had been actively seeking publication. If this was your lifelong dream. All of those rejections. Right. All of the, you know, all of that, all of those rejections probably would have broken my heart. But I didn't care. I had my job mm-hmm. at the library. That's all I ever wanted. And then, you know, God was like, okay, put this hat on and see if mm. this fits. So there was no no doubt. Um there was no you know, beating of the of the chest or or any of that because I wasn't getting published because I hadn't planned on being published right, in the first place. Right. You know, this was just to shut my mm-hmm. girlfriend up. And, but it has been such a blessing. Um, didn't get, I mean, got tons of support from the readers, of course, but I was like a prophet in the wilderness for. I don't know, 15 years trying to get number one publishing to, and and all the other black women too, to let them know that our stories Mm -hmm. mattered. Mm -hmm. We didn't get a lot of uh, support for marketing. We didn't get a lot of, uh, you know, money. (laughs) (laughs) I was making like 27 cents, you know, per book. Um, you know, and all those aspiring writers out there who 
think they're writing a book and they can go out by an escalate. Don't do it. You know, don't don't quit your don't they, don't quit your day Wait, job. Stop one second. So I just that's a pro tip right there, Miss Jenkins, that that have your dream, but you still need to eat. And yeah. And and and, and, and as my girlfriend said, you still gotta pay a light bill. You know, you still and you and I think most people value sleeping indoors, right? And so because of that, that it's important to find a way to balance your dream um, while at the same time figuring out how. Yeah, to. yeah, because you know, the, the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the gas company DTE want their money. So, but you know, in spite in spite of all of that, I kept writing. Romance Writers of America mm. is the biggest trade, well, was the biggest trade um, group for writers in probably the world. And um, even though they've had mm-hmm. three African-American women as presidents, it's a pretty racist organization. Um, women tell stories of, black women tell stories of I mean, you got, you know, 2,000 women in a hotel and, you know, big annual conference every year. And um, you go to learn the craft because it's one of the best places to learn craft and, and how to do this and what to expect. And then you, 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 you go in after a session and there's a group of white women sitting at your table and you don't know a lot of people. So you ask, you know, well, can I join you? And the white women get up and leave the room. So sisters, you know, sisters coming up behind me are telling all these stories. Um, and the organization just sort of blew up two years ago. Uh, set, we set it on fire. Hmm. So, and not just black women. I mean, women of all colors, women of all identities, because it was not serving the membership was only serving a portion of the membership. So mm. I, you know, threw back my membership sure. card along with a bunch of other people and got a lot of young black women now who are trying to resurrect the organization and, mm-hmm. you know, God love them. Um, and I'm watching from the sidelines. But, you know, it, you know, Toni Morrison and I, I needed to, I should have got that quote, um, said that racism is just to distract you. You know, no matter what you do, you are never going to measure up to what they want mm. or what they what they say they want. So your job is to just because it can be a moving target. Of oh course. yeah, it's always a moving target. Goalposts always move. So your job is to just do your job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, you have to look up that quote. It's it's. Mm-hmm. But she was, she was so good at this. Oh my god, I will. You know, I will. She was awesome. So. You know, you can either let the racism beat you down, or you can, and in my case, mm-hmm. look back at what the ancestors have accomplished and keep it moving. Because if they had given up, and if they had said, well, okay, the white man's going to keep me from doing or the system is going to keep me from doing, we wouldn't be here. So they took that lemonade, them Absolutely. lemons, Absolutely. 
America has been giving us for the last 400 years. And they mm-hmm. made the sweetest lemonade they could find, you know. And yes, they dealt with the Jim Crow. And yes, they, they, they dealt with the segregation. Mm-hmm. And yes, they dealt with, you know, all the lynchings of the summer, of the red summer of 1919. But they built colleges. They started businesses. Um, you had a whole group of black women in the 19th century who went to University of Pennsylvania and became doctors and became the first doctors in places where there were no doctors of any gender or of any color and worked mostly in the South. So, and in, in spite of all of that, and while they're doing all these, you know, ceiling breaking things, they loved and they loved fiercely. And that's what's missing, I think, um, in the story that Hollywood and, and mainstream America would like has not covered. They're more focused on the pathology. They're more focused on the pain, which you know we call pain porn. They are not looking at that full story of how much we loved each other. Mm. Um, the, the, the black men after the Civil War who walked for months in the South from plantation to plantation looking for their wives. Um, the people who put uh, mm. all these advertisements in all the black newspapers looking for their husbands. Love is strong. I mean, you needed that love after coming in and getting beat mm-hmm. down by the, mm-hmm. by the system every day to come home and have somebody to, to comfort you and hold you and, 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 and support your dreams, whether you're male or female. It's the part that's missing. Go ahead. So... I was just going to stop you for a minute. So it sounds like one of the ways that you have dealt with being the dot is to keep it moving. I actually, I do a, a workshop called being the dot for college students around the country. And one of the ways that I encourage them to cope is to remember the ancestors and to remember that that is from whence you come, that that blood is in you. And because of that is you came from, that means that you can do what you need to do in spite of. They were so highly intelligent and clever and strong and uh, and they gave their lives so that we could be here. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of my um, guiding lights is when, I, when I'm creating my stories, is a historian, Dorothy Sterling. She has this book that was basically my Bible, my first, you know, because I got 41 books now. Um, 41 books. Wow. That, that's, that's prolific. That, that's what you call, we overuse that word, but that is prolific. But you know, you you put me up against Brenda, you know, and Brenda got like 100 100,000 books. That's all so. right. We, we're just going to stay in the moment with you. We're not going to compare we got to stay in the moment with your accomplishments. Uh, yeah. One of the guiding lights um, for me, she has a book called uh, We Are Your Sisters, Black Women of the 19th Century. In it, uh, you know, and she takes it from uh, 1619 through the 1950s. And it's all of these accomplishments of Black women. 
um, diary excerpts, um, mm. um, um, minutes from the first book clubs, um, autobiographical information of these women. And she said what made them so successful, because Black women were very successful in, in their own way, um, as were Black men um, during the 19th century, was because, one, they worked. They had three gifts. The first gift was because they worked. Whether they were slave or free, they worked. Um, because if you were enslaved, of course, you're working. Mm-hmm. And if you're free, you're working because our men were so limited in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's necessary to have two incomes, mm. just like sometimes it's now, to put food on the table and pay that light bill, right? So black women worked free and enslaved. The second gift was their commitment to community. Mm-hmm. Um, black women started some of the first, uh, I guess you would call it insurance companies. There was a group of washerwomen in Philadelphia. We had a group called the Daughters of Africa. And at the end of the week, after they paid their bills and, you know, they had these little pennies left, they pulled all their little pennies to help pay doctor bills for people in the community or help people bury the dead or, um, you know, help put food on the table of people who were were disabled or who were unable. And that third gift was pushing the envelope on gender and race. We were some of the first women to start. Mary Ann Shad was the first woman on the continent of North America to um, start a newspaper. Her birthday was this week. The Black Doctors of the 19th century. Mm. Uh, Lena Walker, you know, one of the first bankers. So when I'm putting my women together for my stories, mm-hmm. and a lot of times these women yeah. come to me I don't even have to create them. They just walk into the room and say, here, write my story. Um, they have one one or two or sometimes all three of those gifts. And those gifts, they work, work, commitment to the community, mm-hmm. and pushing the envelope on gender and race. Um, and that's a model for all of us. You know, that's a model for all of us. You know, I mm-hmm. try to do so the three gifts are work. Oh yeah, we are. An envelope. You know, we, you know, commitment to community, working, pushing the envelope on gender and race. That has come down through time. It is, and like you said, I think mm-hmm. all of us think have black women are still doing that. One, two, or three, in all of us. So I try and put one to three of those gifts into the women that I write about. So um, the ancestors could teach us a lot if we paid attention, and most of us do, to what they have given us as their gifts um, to keep it moving. You can't sit still and you can't go, oh my God, you can't, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. Because if they could, could do what they did under the conditions that they lived under, it's a piece of cake, piece of cake. So Ms. Jenkins, you talked about um, some of the being the dot nature of the Romance Writers of America Association. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, are there other moments in time that you found yourself in a hyper white space and how you managed it? 
probably everywhere I've gone. You know, I I went from uh, being a little color girl on the east side of Detroit to Michigan State University, mm-hmm. uh, which is a major Big Ten school. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who went up with me in '69 uh, were part of a group called the Detroit Project, where they took, you know, supposedly the cream of the high school kids and put us all together and took us to the college. Okay. Uh-huh. And, you know, we were all from different high schools, and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, and from being from Detroit, I didn't even know this is how, you know. I don't know naive I was, I suppose. I didn't even know that there were black people outside of the city of Detroit. You think think everybody's there, you know, Mm -hmm. here I am meeting black people from Grand Rapids and black people from Saginaw and, you know, black people from Benton Harbor. And, you know, and I know that the black experience at the black colleges is a unique experience. We had that too. Mm, mm-hmm. There were seventeen hundred of us on campus. Wow! Um, out of about about thirty thousand. Um, out of forty thousand. Forty thousand. Okay. Mm-hmm. 40, and we were tight. Uh, we parted together. There was no, you know, sorority. You know, yeah, you had your little drama and stuff, but you know, there was no infighting for that. I have to realize too that this was the late sixties, early seventies. Sure, sure. Was, you know, we were all in the same fist raising, demonstrating kind of mode. Yes, you know? indeed. But nobody went. Well, some of us didn't go to class. Uh, I didn't. I was too busy having fun. <laughs> but <laughs> I never finished school. Um, and I still have those friends fifty years later. Um, I think we all turned out better than our parents thought we ever would um, because of the division in the in the generations at that time. Mm-hmm. But here you are at an all-white school, you know, trying to, you know, it's culture shock. Sure. You know, um, as an English major, journalism English major, um, getting into arguments with professors because I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Mm. Shakespeare was so diverse. Mm -hmm. I'm asking him, okay, Entertainment of the Shrew, uh, Petruchio says uh, his cape was as brown as a hazelnut. Now, what does that say to you? She was brown. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. asking the professor, I'm like, so He's like, no, 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 no. Da, 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 da. You know, they, they, they got all kinds of reasons why mm-hmm. they did not write. Yes, he wrote about gay people. He wrote about, you know, people of color. Um, if you read the sonnet to a sonnet to a dark lady, you know, you, if you read that from the real aspect of it, mm-hmm. they talk about her hair and all this, you know, they were they weren't having it. Sure, and I wasn't having their whitewash. Not having it. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I was in a class and we were talking about um, John Milton's, um, oh God, Paradise Lost. And um, the professor asks, 
So where do you think the Garden of Eden was? So of course I said Africa. And he looked at me like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to work. There's a job at the library open and I've always wanted to work in a library. Mm-hmm. So junior year, during finals week, a job opened up and I took that job so fast. Wow. Um, at Michigan State. Michigan State, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wound up um, being the head clerk at the at the graduate library. Mm-hmm. Headed all the kids that headed all the kids that were you know shelving books and building shelving and 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 one of the wonderful things about that job was that MSU had a full set of the Journal of Negro History. And at lunchtime, I would take armfuls of those books out to. Because the Red Cedar River runs through campus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take armfuls of those volumes out to the to the banks and eat my lunch and and and, and go through and, and and read the history. Because I tell people my mother was black before it's fashionable. So I grew up with black history in my home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And little did I know that leafing through those volumes at lunchtime would be the basis of the history that I would use for my books 20 years later. Wow. So, you know, life has a way of, of preparing you in ways that you ain't even, you don't even know you being prepared. Right. All things work together for our good. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and God's got an amazing sense of humor. Indeed. So, Indeed. Yes. So, yes. So out of that all white environment, um, came me, you know, and, and I probably, I think Michigan State, with all of its problems, because, you know, we had that whole mess with the gymnastic people and all of that, um, I would not be here today mm. had I been in that all-white situation, because once you get, I mean, it's something they can't take from you. They can't take your education. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, they, they can, they can, try and throw all kinds of roadblocks in front of you. They can, you know, dig holes for you to walk in and fall in and all that, but they can't take what, you know, the knowledge that you, um, so, you know, don't let racism, you know, uh, distract you. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is a serious, serious thing, racism. I mean, we look at all the people that are dying for absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the hands of the cops and you know little kids who are in poverty who who, who you know are in situations that you know are just just awful. Um, but we've seen this before. We have. So I was thinking about um, since we're talking history, the blind pig. Oh, yeah. in Detroit. How old were you when that was going on? The riot was in '67. I was 16 years old. So, it, you know, there's a part of it that feels like everything old is new again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to respond to that at all. Yeah, you know, it, it's all, I mean, what we're doing right now in the country mm-hmm. is redemption. Mm. Um, when Reconstruction was gutted and, and torn up and tossed aside in 1876, 1877, and you had all these black men in, in, in Congress and you had um, 
black people starting public education and you had um, black people being um, the majority voters in the South, places like South Carolina and Georgia, Mississippi. You had two black senators, one from Mississippi and the other shoe dropped. And the country gave back to the people who had set the war in motion in the first place, gave them their toys back. Mm-hmm. So black people who had settled in the sea islands and had started communities and um, were suddenly told that, because they had settled black people on a lot of these confiscated plantations. Mm-hmm. And black people started these, you know, communities and, you know, they were viable and, and thriving. And the same Union soldiers who had given them or escorted them to these plantations were then sent out to get them off those plantations. So in came the White Camellia Leagues and the Klan and, and, and all of this, and the white people called it redemption. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of one of your books, isn't it? No, 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 no. I no, no. I talk about redemption a lot in the story, in the books. So what we're seeing now in this backlash against progress and and and, and President Obama and you know all of this progress that's rising is redemption all over again. Um, paying us, paying us back for being in charge. Trying to take, trying to take back the gains mm. that we have um, counted in the last, you know, thirty-five, fifty years. You bet, you bet. Um, Dr. Ibrahim Kendi um, often says that um, the the author of How to How to Be Anti-Racist says that the more anti-racism progress that we make, the more we will see an increase in racist acts. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they can't handle it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's um there's a quote from Lyndon Johnson who talks about when he was president, you know, if you and I'm not, I can't re- I can't remember the exact, but basically as long as these poor, uneducated whites think that we are their problem (laughs) and that we are responsible for them being in the situation that they're in as opposed to them not having a job and not having education. Sure. We're going to have this problem because they have to be better than somebody Mm -hmm. in order for themselves to feel good. You bet. And mm, that ain't my job. You know, no. not, not today. Not definitely. And and the young people today, they're not they're not here for them. The, no. the young people today, they are not here for them. No, not no. like good luck. You know, right? And and yeah. I love them because to me, and I'll be 70 in February, to me, these kids are us. Mm, yes. This reason. You know, I and you know, and we had a couple generations between us and them where you know there was a little bit of but not a whole lot. They, nobody was in the streets. 
So me and my friends, we've been waiting for somebody to be in the streets since we got too old to be in the streets. (laughs) And when I first saw these kids in the streets, and these are Obama's kids. Yes, they are. Obama's the only president these children have known. Yes, yes. And when I saw them in the streets, all colors, Mm -hmm. I cried, girl. I I said, okay, we've been waiting on y'all a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, do your thing. Yeah, yeah. So, So, Ms. Jenkins, can I ask you another question? Sure. So you mentioned some of the elders um, who came before you um, in the romance um, genre. And, and but but also noting you didn't note this so I will that you were also pioneering in your own right yeah in this yeah that's what you're telling me <laughs> no it's true it's just true so I guess I'm wondering you know part of oftentimes when you are the dot in a white genre or workplace or environment that you try to find your people yeah and I know you did that. From the, in the library by taking those journals out to the water every day to read. Yeah, yeah. But how did how did you find your people in the in your writing community and or did you have to create it? We had to create ours mm-hmm. um, because there was, you know, I you know, and I have to bring up Terry McMillan mm-hmm. because when Terry hit the New York Times list for like a thousand weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Publishers. But that, was that from um, Mama? No, it was for Waiting to Exhale. For Waiting to Exhale. Okay. Uh-huh. I mean, we read Mama and we read, uh, what was the one before that with the guy? I was trying to think what the one before that was as well. I can't remember. Not dis- Disappearing Acts. Is that her? Okay. Uh-huh. So when... She did Waiting to Exhale, and it was on the New York Times list for like, you know, a gazillion years. Publishers suddenly realized something that we already knew. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. read. You know, there are still parts of publishing that don't believe we read to this day. So I credit her for opening the eyes a publisher to give me and the people that, you know, came up with me a spot. But in romance, we had no mentors. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We had Sandra and we had uh, Elsie, but because, you know, there was no internet back then. Of course. You know, so you work in, basically alone and the only Mm -hmm. time you would see anybody was at a conference um we didn't know each other well enough to call each other's girlfriends so you know Mm -hmm. no calls back and forth or or any of that and you but you know basically you worked alone but now with the internet and with twitter um and zoom Mm -hmm. you know all these young girls coming up behind me I can pick up the phone and call them now. Or they'll call me nice. and say, Miss Bev, what do I do with this? Or what do, how do I handle this? Or well, you know. And it feels good to be able to pass this knowledge mm-hmm. on. 
Yeah. But like I said, for a while, you know, me and, and Brenda and, and Gwen and, and Donna and Rochelle were, you know, we were like the prophets in the wilderness because, yes. you know, the, the, the market wasn't being served. Um, and then you had, okay, you had these young women who were coming up, especially with historicals. And, and I was so angry. A young woman told me that she had, she had a historical that she was pitching. And the editor told her, said, well, we already got Beverly Jenkins. We don't need another one. Wow. Excuse the hell out of me. What? Indeed. Mm-hmm. More than one right, white writer doing historicals. Mm-hmm. You know, the barriers are subtle, but they're there. Um, and my thing is, and when I when I speak to aspiring writers is don't give up. Don't you yes. dare give up. Mm-hmm. The, the market mm-hmm. is there. And and the young women who started independent publishing and started making all this money doing indie, mm-hmm. they pulled publishing's code too, because they were like, Oh, we're leaving a whole lot of money on the table. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. money on the table. Yes. But things are different. Um mm-hmm. I think this is the one of the best times to be an author that I have ever seen in, in my, you know, 26 years because the market is opening up to everything. You got black women writing, you know, romance, you got black women writing, all of the, the, the arms of the romance tree. You got black women writing about dragons and you got black women doing fantasy. And, you know, mm-hmm. Twitter a couple of weeks ago and I was telling the, the young women, I said, y'all need to stop writing all these great books because you're about to put me in the poorhouse. I'm buying all this stuff, you know, all these these young women, they're so prolific and they're so, they got, you know, the chops are just, it's awesome. So, well, and part of that is because you have made, you and others like you have blazed a trail for them by being the pioneers. Right. You know, your job at least in my mind, <clears throat> your job is to make the path wider. Yes, that's good. That's good. You know, mm-hmm. your job is to make the path wider. Your job is not to throw, you know, make it smaller and, and say, well, I got mine and, 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 you know, you get yours however you can. Yeah. But don't worry about that. You know? So whenever I can make the path wider, I support these women, you know, all the time. Anytime I can use mm-hmm. my platform, to shine light on, on on a younger author, male or female, mm-hmm. I think should be given a lot more light. I'm mm-hmm. doing that because I got a whole ton of light. You know, I got a galaxy full of light and I'm supposed to use right. my gifts for good. You know, I'm wow. supposed to be out there with my head up my ass going, you know, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to help you. You know, you're, no, uh-uh. that's not how this works. It's not how this works. Right. Right. Very cool. So are there any uh, last words of wisdom that you'd like to offer to young authors or um, or even just our listeners about being the dot, being a Black person yeah. uh, in a white space? Do what you can. Mm. You know, and if you're a writer, finish that first book. Mm. People, you know, running around talking about, well, I'm going to be a writer. and I'll... Stop talking. Write. 
finish the book. And don't send that first draft to anybody because it's terrible. First, <laughs> first drafts are just you trying to throw stuff up against the wall to see what, what sticks. What sticks. That's good. You know, That's really good. Um, learn as much as you can about the business of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. You have to have talent, but you also need to know how to navigate in the forest that it is. Um, mm-hmm. Scams mm-hmm. out there who will take advantage of your dreams and break your heart. And I don't want that to happen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, find, you know, find your, find your group because there are now groups on all over the the country for uh, writing. Uh, National November, uh, right month is coming up November 1st. Mm -hmm. Get a hold of that. um, And have fun with it. Don't take yourself so seriously. I mean, this ain't this ain't rocket science. This is storytelling. You know, save, mm. the, save the drama for people who who study in you know neurology or you know open heart surgery and all of that. You know, those are you know those are those are the serious things. Um, mm. But you can be successful at this. It's hard work. It is not easy at all. Um, and after mm. forty-one books, I should know. Lord, yes, you sure. <laughs> what, what do you think is the it has been the biggest challenge for you? I don't have any discipline. That's my problem. You know, I, <laughs> I'm always looking for a distraction. You know, I'm like, okay, okay. You know, the the book is due in two weeks, so let's make bread today, or you know, let's let's go out and plant tulips today. You know, I, you know, I I look at and then there, you know, there's writers who have incredible, incredible discipline. Um, I have a group of uh, sisters that, you know, we travel together. There's like 40 of us, and you know, we do these history trips, and you know, we go to New Orleans, and we, you know, we do these history trips all over the country. And we were in Hawaii, um, I don't know, five or six years ago for one of my girlfriend's birthdays, and Brenda Jackson was with us, and we we're at mm-hmm. the beach, and it's like, where's Brenda? Brenda in the room writing. We're in Hawaii. I'm like, put that, you know, manuscript down and come out here and read. But you know, mm-hmm. we all. So what is your what is your process? Uh, I write at night <clears throat> because mm-hmm. when I started, I had a hubby and two kids. Mm-hmm. I didn't get published until I was forty-one. Wow! So for all those people who think they're too old. There's no age. There's just good wow. books. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, since I do historicals, I need to know what I'm doing. I try mm-hmm. to immerse myself in the in the subject matter um, and in the language because the language is mm-hmm. different. Um, and then I write at night. Um, I'm on Twitter way too much. Way. I've got to follow you on Twitter now. I've got to follow. I you have such a good time on Twitter. I am Author Miss Bev on Twitter. Um, All right, Miss Bev. Yeah. What is it? What author, is it, Miss Bev? Author Miss Bev. All right, Author Miss Bev. That's M S Bev. So. Okay. Um, but once, you know, the the deadline starts, the deadline fire starts coming up above my knees. Mm-hmm. Then it's all writing all the time. 
Um, no showers, no, you know, no food. The ladies on Facebook will say, "Miss Bab, have you eaten today?" And I'm like, mm. um, they, they they try and keep me at least alive. I have sure, sure. three Facebook pages and a, and a Twitter account. I don't do uh-huh. I don't do Instagram though. Um, but once I get started, you know, like I'm, I got a book due in January. And I've been sort of messing around and, and I'm just starting to get serious about it. So mm-hmm. I will work until, you know, the brain will kick on around nine o'clock at night. Um, mm-hmm. I'll work till maybe two in the morning. Okay. Girlfriends know not to call me before 10 because I ain't answering the phone because I'm not up. Mm-hmm. I'm late. And then, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's rinse and repeat. So until the book sure. is done, uh, I have a, I'm, I'm blessed to have had great, editors um, mm-hmm. also had been dots um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they get my books I don't have to explain anything to them there's never been anybody who says well you can't write about that um, and they've all been incredibly patient because I'm always late um, mm-hmm. but I love what I do I love it's a blessing. What I do. that is a blessing well I love what you do too <laughs> Oh, thank you, friend. And I am sure our listeners will as well. I want to read this Toni Morrison quote. I did find it. Did you? Okay, uh, I did. And um, it's a long one, but I think it's so rich. And your story embodies it as well. It says, the function, the serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being Someone says to you, have no language, and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Someone says you have no kingdoms, so you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. Miss Jenkins, Miss Bev, Auntie, thank you so, so much. It was really an honor to talk to you. The, my village was thrilled when they heard that you were willing to do this with me. And I was equally so. I, I feel inspired. Like, I, I feel like, okay, that book that I've been saying for years, I'm going to write. I need to get to it immediately. Get to it. Um, to it. Finish it. You know, and my, last, and my last piece of advice for writers, don't let somebody else's success make you feel less mm, they're good. on their path you're on yours don't worry about what somebody else is doing so that's good that's good that's beautiful and that's the perfect way to end thank you again you're so welcome this episode was edited by caroline bone special thanks to our podcast intern amanda gillette our music is provided by jaffa being the Dot is sponsored by DavisDeliciousDelights.com. DavisDeliciousDelights.com, custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit DavisDeliciousDelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $35.99 or more.